Stand clear of the doors. Por favor, manténganse alejado de las puertas. Okay. Uh, welcome to another episode of the No Idea Program. Uh, specifically, this is a special transit vertical episode. This is a uh, sort of test episode of some a format that we want to try for Patreon bonus episodes that Aaron has creatively named pop-off episodes. <laughs> um, and in fact, Aaron is not here today because the, the premise of pop-off episodes is that they are special episodes, which may or may not include special guests. Uh, but include only one host going off on something that they find particularly interesting. Um, and I have a special guest here today. I have Liz with me. Hello. Uh, and and we're going to talk about uh, a, a topic near and dear to both of our hearts, which is uh, freight transport. Now that's what now that's not what you said. You'd said that what I have no idea what I'm doing needs is more East Coast elitism. And well, you know. yeah, right. I am the I am the primary purveyor of East Coast elitism around here. Right, Aaron has left coast elitism covered, and then I have like the Midwest covered as best as one can cover the Midwest from a single state. <laughs> but you know, we didn't we don't have a whole lot of East Coast sort of elitism. So yeah, we've brought. <laughs> you know, there just isn't enough East Coast representation in the media. There just isn't. No, that's certainly true. I'm sick of reading only the L.A. Times and the. Um, uh, uh, SF Gate, yes. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> the Utah, the the Salt Lake uh, Inquisitor. I don't even know. The Seattle Post Intelligence. <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah, There's no. What, what's the Se- what's the Alt Weekly in Seattle? <laughs> <laughs> Aren't they all? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> or did Bezos buy it yet? Who knows? Where, where's my bell? Here it is. I've got it now. Okay. Well, I have a I, I have a horn and a bell. Ooh. So fancy. Uh, but you know, we're going to talk about freight transport today because uh, specifically rail freight transport. But we're going to sort of talk about it in relation to other forms of freight transport. All of which are worse. Um, and the and the working title for this episode is only boxcars are good, all other freight sucks, which is the essential premise. And you know, honestly, you could probably stop listening there if that's all the all the the information that that's you your, need. That's your TLDR, yeah. Right, yeah. Um, but so you know, there's many many ways of of transporting freight goods uh, around a place. Obviously, you have planes, which tend to be for long range journeys only. You obviously, wouldn't be. I mean, very few places uh, are like Cessnas flying around dropping packages off. Um, You know, that's only in like Alaska, I think, that you get like door-to-door Cessna (laughs) freight service or whatever. Your your tracking number is actually a flight number, turns out. Right. And then you have ships, which uh, have the critical um, uh, trade-off of not working on land, uh, which tends to be, um, reduces their their utility quite a bit. and you have trucks, which are terrible for reasons that we will get into. And then you have trains, which are great, and everything should be shipped on a train to the extent possible. Yes. Um, so, you know, rail transport is is amongst the most efficient uh, forms of freight transport. And indeed, here in the U.S., it forms the, the backbone of, uh, well, I mean, it... It formed the backbone of the rail company so much that they only do freight. Yeah, it's now. always interesting so. when you hear about because um, uh, people talk about um, Amtrak a lot because um, people travel by train too, and um, Amtrak, as much as we love it, it does have its problems. However, our the freight network in America is so expansive and so all-encompassing, and people don't think about it very often. And and this is after like forty, fifty years of it mm-hmm. shrinking. It's still very expansive. Um, also worth noting, Amtrak, a passenger railway, also ships freight or has shipped freight at various times in its history. It's that lucrative of a business. So, <laughs> I mean, it's it's interesting because they still in long, most... Do they still have that? Um, I don't know if they still do, but they definitely do. I've watched plenty of videos where they where they hook up Amtrak boxcars. <laughs> yeah, so. yeah. <laughs> Um, but, you know, in, in places like Europe, um, it's sort of the opposite where passenger rail is the predominant rail transport you know um form whatever you call it but here in america we use rail transport predominantly for freight um and it's um you know it's been big business it's sort of ebbed and flowed over the years um it's certainly transformed a lot um but we're gonna sort of go through it a little bit um the different sort of types of freight there's of course different ways um, that one can can put things on a train, and that's sort of one of the things that makes it neat is all the different uh, variety of rail cars that you can use to transport stuff. 
Um, but we'll start with the, the most common that you see today, which is containerized freight. It's arguably the worst. This is the... In a lot of ways, yeah, it's the it's the big the big forty foot containers that you see on trains. Sometimes uh, just one, or sometimes two stacked on top of each other. That's just called a double stack. Um, so this is this is attractive because it uses these standard shipping containers that you can also put on ships. Um, but of course, the the problem with this intermodal transport, as it's called, you can take it from a ship and put it onto a train. But then it has to get off the train for the last mile of the journey, and it usually gets put on a truck for that. Isn't it? I'm sure, what else would you put it on? Like, I mean, um, I've only ever. Well, you know, I suppose you could have a rail siding built where you have like a crane where you can crane the containers oh, yeah, out yeah. Uh, directly, but that's extremely uncommon. So mostly it goes to a yard, and then some cranes put it on a trailer, and then a truck takes it to its last destination. Um, and, and this is bad because trucks uh, are the reason that our roads are so bad, particularly here in Michigan, but also just everywhere. Yeah, um, I used to live in New I used to live in New Jersey, and the the roads around the Eliz Port Elizabeth are uh, not good, not good. Yeah, trucks just are they're, they're just so heavy, and these intermodal containers uh, are also very very heavy. They they tend to be overbuilt for sort of what they need to do because they're designed to be stacked on top of each other. So if you've seen like a cargo ship and you've seen how how tall they stack up these containers you know each container has to be built to withstand you know the assumption that it might be on the bottom of a giant stack of containers yeah, at some point in its life so, what 10 12 high higher right and, uh, yeah but so you know the they're they tend to be overbuilt yes. i would say for for a lot of the the purposes that they need to be which is you know not every container is at the bottom and not every container needs to support that weight all the time but of course you can't you know, you can't pick and choose which ones should go on the bottom at any time. But this is just a, a point that they're, you know, comparing to like a normal semi-truck trailer, which is like actually quite lightweight because they're made of like plywood, yeah. basically. And they use it for like a canvas roof or something. Right. You have this giant corrugated steel box, which is just, it does damage to our road because the and trucks are so heavy. And they more of them, even though there are so many, because, you know, they get beat up, they get rusty, whatever. They're out at sea, we get it. But they keep making more of them, which isn't great for the environment. And it also Well, they keep of... falling off of ships, too, which is a real problem. Yeah. <laughs> they do keep falling off. But they keep making more of them, which means there are a lot of old ones lying around. And every, you know, every between every six months and two years... Um, some just absolute idiot decides that they're going to solve um, the homelessness problem or the home construction problem by turning containers, used containers, into housing of some type. And they're really bad at this. Like, this is com this is a complete tangent, but it's one of my... It really gets me whenever I see someone saying, oh, we can just build houses out of containers. There, no, you can't. You, you. I mean, you can, but you shouldn't. Containers not designed to be human dwellings, as it not turns out. Not designed to be insulated because you have to insulate <laughs> them. They're not that wide, honestly, especially after you add the insulation. And it's just, it's just. Yeah. You stop trying to build things with containers. Stop it. Right. Please. I can't take it. Yeah, I. One of the worst bars that I've ever went, been to was in Austin, Texas, on Rainy Street. There's a bar called the Container Bar because it's built out of like several containers. That is the most Austin, like New Austin thing I've ever heard. It it, it truly is, and it was uh, overpriced and not very good. Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> what I expect. My my recommendation if you're going to Austin is do go to Rainy Street in preference to Sixth Street. It's less crowded, but don't don't bother going to the Container Bar. Just stand across the street and sort of look at it. I love it. paying eight bucks for a Shinerbach. Yeah, right. Exactly. I like paying fourteen dollars for sangria that tastes like they've mixed Welch's grape juice with some vodka or something. <laughs> oh, I don't no. know. No, <laughs> it's not good no, at you all. Can, you can get cheaper <laughs> drinks in Manhattan, honestly. Uh, yeah, I yeah, you know, I don't. It's been a few years. I don't remember if that was the the actual price yeah. of it, but it was it was not cheap, and I was very disappointed. So. Um, I did some research, and actually, it turns out that that one of the first railroads that um, uh, uh, gave us the the containerization trend was the Canadian Pacific. Huh. There was a smaller railroad that started with containers, but it was the CP that that thoroughly adopted it and popularized Interesting. it. Interesting. Was it? I'm guessing so. out of the port in Vancouver. Uh, yeah, I think so. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, the Southern Pacific uh, was the ones that first decided that they could double stack these things. Mm. So. 
That's cool. Yeah, when I um, <laughs> the fun thing about double stacks is that um, where I'm, I grew up in Rhode Island, and um, most of the bridges in the Northeast. Uh, railway bridges, I mean, were not um, built for cars that high. So there was a big construction project when I was growing up to um, raise some of the road bridges over the railway into the port of Quonset um, to allow for double stacks to come in. Mm-hmm. And it, you know, it just, just jacked up the roads for two or three years around there. Right. Yeah. And that's, you know, another reason I don't like double stacks is because it tends to be incompatible with uh, overhead electrification. Yes. Yes. So I don't like that. Um, I, I think, you know... No, that's you can only run the well cars in the Northeast Corridor. You can't run, like, an actual double stack. Yeah, I mean, not that they run electric freight, but, I mean, it would preclude electrifying other lines because then yeah. they'd, have to, they'd have to put the lines very high up and then have very tall pantographs or not do double stack freight, which is basically asking them to make less money, so they're obviously not going to do that. Of course not. Why would they? Uh, but that's containerization. Before containerization, we had uh, trailer on flat car. And uh, this is one that I, you know, ha- have been thinking about as an engineer. Um, I'm thinking about efficiency a lot because that's what I've been trained to do after seven years of rigorous schooling. Um, and trailer on flat car, which is literally where you take a semi trailer and you just put it on a flat car. You just like crane it onto a flat car. And I think about all the wasted space <laughs> under the car. Like the the in, the double stack intermodals solve this problem because they do not yes. waste any bit of space at all. But the trailer and flat car, you just have this massive air that you're not using to transport yeah, that is the anything. One thing about the double stack, they do use every part of the trailer. They do, yeah. But trailer and flat car does not. Oh, this is also called piggyback uh, transport. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean it's it's obviously also bad for the same reason as intermodal which is that it requires trucks to do the last mile of delivery um so you know you have these big uh yards or you know ports where the trucks come in and the and the trailers get craned onto or off of the train cars and then they take them to where they're going um so I, I don't I don't like trailer and flat car just because it wastes space. But it was the it first. Just, it, it also looks goofy too. It does look a bit silly. Yeah, you just because you're using the, basically the same length of car as a box car or a container car. But a, a um, you're fitting less actually. Yeah. yeah. But a, a uh, truck trailer. Whatever. What, what are they? Fifty feet. Fifty three. Yeah. yeah. Fifty three. Yeah. Feet. You or just so, get yeah. all this empty space at the end of the trailer. Is weird. Right. Yeah. And and, and you know so. Uh, Trailer, um, trailer and flat car, trailer train stuff was first conceived of in like the 1950s when things started to be getting bad for passenger service for the for the um, for the railways and and also the increase of highways was making trucking more. Um, it was it was proliferating trucking, so the railways were trying to figure out a way to stay relevant, and they're like, why don't you just put our, your trucks on our trains? And that sort of worked for a bit, and indeed, you still see it. I still see, and it irritates me so much, you know, I'll see a train go by that has, like, UPS trailers on flat cars, oh, and I'm like, guys, just... I haven't... I don't see them very often around here. Yeah. I, it, yeah, you see that sometimes, and it's like, just just palletize the shipments and put them in a boxcar. You'll fit more of them in there. Seriously. But uh, we'll get to that. Um so then a sort of hybrid of, of sort of trailer and flat car with containerization is the road railer. And this is, um, I, I sort of like this idea because it's clever, but I also don't like it because it has a lot of uh, uh, trade-offs I, and I would like to issue a hot take before you explain it. Um, if, oh, go if ahead. Anyone, please. If, if anyone here in, uh, appreciates this, please let me know. It's basically a freight pacer. Mm, yes, very good. <laughs> 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 that's that's pretty much accurate, except it's not self-propelled, but yeah. No, that is it's not self-propelled, but no. <laughs> yeah. So basically a road railer is you take like a normal semi-truck trailer and you reinforce it so that it's as strong as a normal rail car. And then instead of putting it on a flat car, you just connect these together and you put them on top of, of bogies and axles. So there's no car between them. There's just, you know, axle, car, axle or axle trailer, axle trailer, axle trailer, all the way down, and then you run the brake lines along the whole thing. Um, this is this is nice because it doesn't require any sort of cranes or lifting equipment. You literally can just drive the, the trailer up onto the rails um, and then just drop it there, and then you jack it up onto a bogey, and mm-hmm. you're good to go. Um, but of course, again, still requires trucks for the last mile. And also, 
requires trailers that are much, much heavier than standard semi-trailers because they have to bear the weight of an entire train being transferred through them. Yes. <laughs> so, um, you know, not not great. This was popular for like a couple decades, but it's dying out anyway. I think there's only one major road railer operation I don't think still happening anyway. Um, I think they've found that, I don't know, it's just easier to deal with the containers, I guess. I don't know. Mm. Don't quite understand. I think it's probably, too, that the road railer trailers are probably just much more expensive than conventional trailers, and the extra headache of having to crane the trailer onto a flat car is not is you know worth the the otherwise added cost of buying road railer trailers so um but it's it's interesting as a concept yeah yeah no it doesn't really <laughs> the the whole point of having a freight trip like a truck trailer is that it's a lot lighter than a rail car but you just you've completely ruined that right and not that this is a trucking episode but trucks already don't get great fuel economy as it is Trucks don't. No, they don't get great fuel economy. They destroy our roads. Yeah. I mean, this is the thing. I've this statistic has been said in other podcasts, but the, the the wear and tear on roads is proportional to the fourth power of the weight of the vehicle. So your 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 typical passenger car does almost no damage to the roads, but a semi truck, which is much much heavier, just absolutely tears up your roads. And I know this because near where I work, back when we used to go into work, um, is a quarry. <laughs> and so it just has dump trucks coming out onto the road all the time. And that road is just, I mean, it's very rutted with, you know, where the, the trucks drive on it and all that. It's not good. We don't like it. No. Um, and, and here in Michigan, we have um, the highest allowable weight limit of any state, which is one of the contributing factors to why our roads are so bad is because we just allow trucks to be massively heavier than anywhere else. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. I figured it would be one of the more Western states that had the highest limit. No, it's because we're right here next to Canada, and so quite a lot of freight goes over the Ambassador Bridge. Ah, yeah. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Yes. Um, and so we're, you know, uh, I guess we put up with it for that reason, or rather our lawmakers put up with it for that reason. Yes. Um, but yeah, no, we, I don't like trucks. Um, you know, I think, I think obviously there's a, there's a, there's a, um, there's a time and place for road-based freight obviously you can't get rail car spurs to everywhere where you need to deliver stuff but i would like to see more vans you know yeah if yeah. only because they're smaller lighter and you would have presumably more more jobs because you'd have more drivers you know yes. driving the vans to deliver things so I, I think that i think that freight rail ra road freight transport should be no bigger than a ups package van no if you've ever seen a uh, 53 foot tractor trailer try and maneuver through a city of any size it's it's not pretty it's not pretty yeah there's also that like they're just extremely big and unwieldy and i don't know why we bother we don't we don't need to do that my experience so. with american truck simulator the popular video game has told me that it's a terrible <laughs> idea yeah <laughs> Uh, and then finally, we have boxcars. Boxcars are the classic of uh, sort of uh, mixed goods transport. It's literally just a car uh, into which you put stuff. And there's usually two doors on the side that can slide open and that you can go through. That's sort of a difference to like a trailer where it opens on the end. Um, you know, like a semi-trailer only opens on one end. An intermodal container could open on both ends. Um, but, uh, boxcars open on the sides, which is kind of neat. Cause then you can slide them up along a siding and then you can just open the side doors and drive into there with a forklift and pull stuff out. Mm -hmm. Old warehouses usually have, if, if there was a railroad siding to it, or if there still is one, you'll see doors spaced down the side of the warehouse and they line up with a boxcar. It's perfect. Yeah. So, you know, boxcars are the classic. They kind of got it right. These, you can, you can deliver um, boxcars directly to your end customers. You just drop them off if they have a railroad spur. Um, doors on the side for easy loading and unloading. You don't have to lift anything to load them. You can shuttle them around easily with rail car movers, which are like, you know, basically like forklifts for um, uh, railroads, you know, so you can, you can get a small little vehicle to push them around with, um, sort of equivalent to like a yard truck for a trucking operation. Yeah, um, I mean, if they're empty, you can just push them with one of those levers too. Right. Yeah. Quite simple to, to move around, um, and handle. So, um, you know, a, a lot of freight, the majority of freight, and in fact, all freight before intermodal containers were a thing or all mixed freight, I should say, were, were carried in boxcars. Um, 
There are some issues with boxcars. Of course, they're not really intermodal. You can't really... No one's no one's lifting boxcars and putting them onto ships, although that used to happen. Well, in, I mean, they're not being past. lifted, but uh, there is still a uh, car float across um, across the harbor in New York. Um, mm. I did promise it was going to be an East Coast, East Coast uh, episode, <laughs> but uh, I keep referencing New York and Rhode Island because that's where I'm from. I grew up there. I lived there. Right. Um, yeah, there are still a few car float services across the harbor. Um, yeah, but you know, the benefit of like an intermodal thing is that you can take the container right off the ship and put it right onto the train yes, and you don't have to yes. get into it at all um that's not really a thing that happens with box cars you have to basically break open the box car and get the stuff out of it or the container and then put it into a box car um so and that's called bulk break bulk freight it's sort of an out of fashion because it's considered inefficient uh because it involves a lot of people paying a lot of longshoremen to do that work um so um the but the thing there, I think, that's interesting to think about is palletization has made this somewhat easier because what you can do is you could just palletize the stuff in the intermodal container and then you just go in there with a forklifter pallet jack, jack it out, and then put it into the boxcar. And, you know, that can be just as fast. Which isn't a new concept. I mean, palletization was first developed near the end of World War II, if I recall correctly. So it's been in development for a while. Right. In fact, they, they did it for this reason. Before they invented intermodal containers, they did it so that it would be easier to transload uh, goods between, like, ships and trains and so on. So, mm. And that's the thing, too. You know, then you have pallets. The, the thing is, the Wikipedia article about bo- break bulk shipping shows, like, guys going into a box car and pulling out individual boxes, <laughs> which is not how it really happens these days. You, wh- What I imagine, what I would like to see, you know, you, you see the Amazon Prime trucks, the semi-trucks, all the yes. time on the highway. Yes. And I'm just imagining, what if, instead of truck freight between all their distribution centers, they had rail cars box cars and then you just you take all the boxes of stuff and you palletize them you wrap them up in plastic wrap and then you just you know they pull into the distribution so you just go in with a forklift and 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 yank it out and mm. you're good to go pretty it can be done pretty quickly if you have the right setup for it you know yes so. no the the old way it, it always reminds me of the um because the i've seen that picture on the uh, wikipedia article as well it always reminds me of um the british british railways put out a sort of informational ad video about um, their um, computerized tracking system for rail cars and such. And one of the examples is they've got this whole boxcar and it's they pull it up to a loading dock in the south of England and they load like five lamps on it for lamps for like a film production. And that's the whole thing. That's all they loaded on it. Mm. <laughs> I'll have to send you the link. Is it? I mean, it's a pretty interesting video anyway, but I just... That sort of inefficiency is what I picture when mm-hmm. people talk about the old sort of bulk break, bulk, uh, break, break bulk, break, break <laughs> yeah. bulk. So, so there's that, um, boxcar. Of course, all of these things that we've talked about are for like, um, you know, like mixed goods, not like bulk cargo. So for a lot of uses for bulk cargo, things like transporting liquids or gases or, you know, like coal iron ore, rock, things like that. You don't use a container for that because it's way less efficient than using a specialized uh, rail car that's designed for transporting those kinds of things. Um, an exception here is there are tank tank containers, which are tanks that are in the shape <laughs> in of containers. Frame. Yeah, they're in this weird frame. It's weird. Those are dumb and they offend me. And I see no reason <laughs> to do those instead of just having tank cars. I don't know why why would you use a bunch of tank tainers when you could instead use like an LNG carrier ship and then just, you know, offload it into some tank cars? I don't get it. It just seems silly. Um, You know, so something like rock coal, you don't need to containerize that. You just put that into a hopper or gondola car, which makes it very easy to load because you just drop it in the top and then very easy to unload as well because they have specialized doors underneath that you can, um, you know, just yank some things or actuate some things and open so that it drops out. I've seen a lot of the power plants that use coal around the U.S. have where the train just sort of drives across a trestle with the doors of the gondolas or the hoppers <laughs> open and just drops its coal down into this giant pile. That the, and the dust the, cloud is absolutely immense. Yeah, where the where the coal is just you know standing there. So, um. So that's sort of the 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 um, 
you know, like mixed freight. But rail freight is that the cars can be used to transport a whole bunch of things. That's sort of the neat thing about it. So you have box cars, you have refrigerated cars or reefer cars, which are basically box cars with uh, refrigeration systems added to them. Hopper cars, covered hopper cars for things that you don't want to get wet, gondola cars, center beam cars, which are usually used for transporting like raw lumber and also processed wood products. Uh, flat cars, which are used for a variety of things. You can put trailers on them. You can also put like coils of steel or I-beams or whatever sort of things cars, on them. Cars even, they used to carry cars on flat cars before they started doing um, rail or car carriers. Yeah, cars on flat cars. You've got you've got auto racks, auto racks which are specifically to carry lots of cars. Those usually let you stack like cars three layers high in a single auto rack, which is pretty cool. Uh, and then well cars, which you use to carry containers mostly. Are they used for anything um, else? And the cool thing, I'm trying to think. Yeah, I don't think so. For, I'm trying to think what yeah. else it would be for. I mean, I suppose you could put yeah. other things in them, but they're specifically designed to haul intermodal containers. The cool thing about about um, trains, of course, is that you can combine any of these cars on a single train in any combination and haul them with like a handful of locomotives. And I looked this up. The longest train ever uh, was an iron ore train ran by BHP Bilton in Australia. It weighed almost 100,000 metric tons total, wow. hauling 82,000 tons of iron ore in 682 cars, a length of 7.3 kilometers. And for that, they used a total of eight locomotives. That is not the kind of car that you, the kind of train that you want to be uh, stuck waiting for at a level crossing. No, no certainly not. <laughs> <laughs> I think the only reason they get away with it is because they're in the middle of Western Australia. <laughs> yeah, because those trains are not going very fast because of all the uh, the weights. So no, absolutely it's not. not. It's gonna but take it's, a while. you know, it's interesting that you have this train that is 7.3 kilometers long. It only needs eight locomotives to haul it. The total power, mm -hmm. by the way, 35,000 horsepower, which seems like a lot, but I did some math here and taking that equivalent amount of iron ore and putting it into semi-truck trailers would require 4,017 semi-trucks. Uh, and that would require, based on the power of an average class eight uh, semi-truck multiplied by 4,017, uh, 2,000,000. 48,670 horsepower. So imagine the fuel consumption <laughs> difference there. Um, Step one, purchase a uh, fuel distribution network. Right. Yeah, I mean, I think people think that trains are... They see trains and they see how big they are and how loud they are, and they imagine that they must be inefficient. But the thing is, trains are actually relatively low horsepower for what they're doing. And the thing is, you know, yeah, the train uses a lot of energy to get itself up to speed, but after it gets up to speed, those things are so heavy that they can just coast on inertia alone most of the Between time. Between the inertia and the low rolling resistance of steel steel rails, you know, it's it's very it's not hard to keep it going. It's it's very very efficient. It's a very efficient way to transport a lot of goods a great distance and it's way more efficient than than semi-truck transport. So, and the, um, you know, here in the U.S., trains typically reach like two and a quarter miles maximum, uh, which is about 180 cars. And for that, you usually need four locomotives or so. I'm trying to think how long the juice train normally is. Um, yeah, I'm not sure. I live in Florida for a bit, and every so often I get stuck at a crossing waiting for the, um, for the Tropicana juice train to go by. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, I mean, the trains... Yeah, so the, you know, there are lots of long trains in the U.S. that are usually this two-mile length. There are often many that are shorter as well. It depends on what exactly they're hauling. Um, I did want to roll something into this, which is um, the Union Pacific, uh, until recently, this is a sort of sad note, they had a, um, a, a, a unit train, which is a train that, that um, contains only one commodity. The juice train is an example of a unit train. It hauls only Tropicana orange juice um, from Florida to New Jersey. Um, express um, the Union Pacific had a similar thing a unit reefer train for refrigerated produce called cold connect oh um, huh, I didn't know that That basically went from either Washington or California straight to New York um, oh wow uh, and uh, they, they shut it down recently unfortunately because it's no longer cost effective for them oh no uh, which is unfortunate because the the cool thing about this was that they could rush cold produce across the country um I think what was their time frame for this? Oh, where is it in this article? I think it took less than a day, or maybe slightly more than a day, to get all the way across the country. Wow, um, that <laughs> that is impressive. Yeah. 
I mean, that's the that's the thing about um, you know, these sorts of things is that well, a traffic is obviously much less of a problem for freight trains um than you know for like a semi truck and uh they tend to be separated as well um you know i would say freight trains do not move as fast as i as i would like <laughs> i think you know they can certainly this is the thing they could if they wanted to design like high speed freight where they could go up to 125 miles per hour but they'd have to upgrade their track or whatever usually the max speed of a freight railroad is about 80 miles per hour i was gonna say uh, this you i feel like it's normally lower nowadays but i know the santa fe used to run a sort of guaranteed overnight service that reached 80 very frequently yeah which is you know and that's like an 80 mile per hour you know nearly an 80 mile per hour average speed well yeah that's the other thing it's constant a truck has to stop for gasoline or for for diesel or for the driver to sleep or eat and all that and you know Mm. you can just change out a train crew and leave the train running (laughs) right and so it it offers a sort of uh, a nice middle ground between like slow truck transport and very fast but also very expensive plane transport um and i know that you know the amtrak for a while the freight service that they operated was like an express freight where you know because it was a passenger train and it was meant to go fast you could send stuff along with the train um with the intention of you know getting it there the next day uh that kind of thing so they had um you know box cars that they would couple up to the end of their passenger trains <laughs> and <laughs> fill up with stuff they used to have a service where you could load um, like small courier service sort of goods onto a baggage car. Um, I don't know if they still do that, but they had that running. As yeah, well. I don't know. I think I want to say at one point that I did um, look and they do still have um, like you can still pay them to haul a box car for you. Hmm. But it is it's very expensive, as you might imagine, for like express service. Well, they probably charge the same rates as they would charge for a, uh, a private haulage railroad car, like passenger car, at that point. Mm-hmm. And it's worth noting that, that Amtrak getting into express freight aggregated, aggravated not only the other freight railroads, but also the trucking industry. So, <laughs> yeah. Of course. Um, of course. It, it did not pan out quite as well as they hoped. Um, but yeah, that's, I mean, I think our conclusion here is that more things should be hauled by train, ideally boxcars. Um, you know. I understand the need for intermodals, I guess, um, in the sense that all of our ports are designed around intermodal containers these days. There's all this specialized equipment of all these cranes and these like straddle carriers and all that. It is astonishing how much has been built up around the concept of the container. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, it makes a lot of sense in some ways. It doesn't make a lot of sense in other ways. Um, what I was curious to research, although I haven't been able to look into it, was how many ports um, are able to load directly from a ship onto a train without needing to use like a truck as an intermediary. Oh, hmm. This is also apparently a, a thing that um, happens in Chicago where they will do um, like it'll come in on an e- like, um, you know, intermodal containers will come in on an Eastern Railroad like CSX or Norfolk Southern. Mm-hmm. And instead of just like interchanging the cars with one of the Western Railroads, they will pull it off at the yard and truck it across Chicago to the other railroad's yard. Oh, yeah, no, I've heard about this. Yes, because it's it's incredibly slow because you have to drive around the city of Chicago. Uh, yeah, just uh, extremely dumb. Like, guys, your railroads are connected. Just, like, kick kick the rail cars down, you know, your line onto their line. Like, come on, figure this out. <laughs> I don't know. It needs. I guess we need, like, specialized interchange facilities where two trains can come up next to each other or something. I don't know. Mm. <laughs> No, I mean, it, it's, it seems like it's a very solvable problem. It just, it's, because I have heard about this, it's baffling to me that they drive them from one side of Chicago to the other. Yeah. Yeah, Why? it's it's strange. And of course, the proliferation of um, truck-based transport, um, you know, largely aided, uh, truck-based transport was inexpensive for a long time for a couple reasons. One being that truckers do not have to pay for the infrastructure that they use, the highways being built by the government versus railroads having to maintain their rails. And then also for a while, you had the Interstate Commerce Commission, which was regulating the prices that railroads could charge for freight um, and prohibiting basically them from being competitive with motor carriers, as they were called, which were regulated differently. It It was into the 60s when they stopped regulating that, right? 
I think it was, um, uh, th- well, full deregulation, or well, not full deregulation, but deregulation of the railroad industry to the point where they could set their own rates did not come until the 80s. Oh, wow. Yeah. That That's was, I think, I 1980, the, the Staggers Act is the one that they talk about. Mm. Um, yeah, no, I just assumed that was earlier because I think about airline deregulation happening in the mid-70s. Right. Yeah. So the Staggers Act was, uh, oh, under Jimmy Carter, technically, but it was 1980. Um, Mm. and it, it basically, um, uh, it messed around a bit with, um, the ICC, although kept it at the time, the ICC was not disestablished until a later law, but it basically, um, took away the, a lot of the ICC's powers to regulate the rates that, uh, the railroads were charging. Um, uh, there's some good there, I guess, in that it allowed them to charge more competitive rates, but then also, obviously, deregulation of the rail industry then resulted in consolidation and the shrinkage of the network um, overall um, quite a lot. I was reading a, a glowing article about the 40th anniversary of the Staggers Act from a <laughs> trade publication, and I was just like, hmm, well, let me see if I can find it again. Why was it glowing? Uh, well, uh let me see here. Oh, well, here we've got a uh, Stegger's Act lessons remain relevant in 2020. This is from Railway Age, uh, which is one of the, uh, let me put it into the doc here. This is one of the trade rags of the, the railroad industry. Um, this is, uh, who's this written by? President of the ASLRRA. Oh, Association of Shortline Railroads of America. Um, so this is all about how the Staggers Act enabled short-line railroads to become a thing. Uh, short-line railroads are railroads that basically operate very, very short um, sections of track. The reason that short-line railroads became a thing after the Staggers Act is because it allowed the bigger railroads to be like, we're just done with this piece of track, actually. We don't want to do oh, it so anymore. It's basically the same thing as your sort of regional uh, shuttle airlines that are feeders for uh, the main lines. Right, yeah. So the it basically allowed these railroads to sell off these these sections of track that they thought were unprofitable. And then, you know, entrepreneurs and capitalists bought them up and, you know, ran them as short-line railroads. And then Lachmigantic happens. Right. So uh, short line, so short lines have grown from 8,000 miles of track in 1980 to 50,000 miles today. Uh, which is cool, I guess. I mean, I think that this is probably actually something of a problem because what happens is, you know, um, let's say I want to send something from here in Detroit, Michigan to where you are. Um, I have to put it onto the um, the Lake State Railway, which is the short line railway that operates the railway closest to me. They have to interchange it with CSX. CSX will take it to you know, all the way to, I guess, somewhere in Boston. And then I don't know if they service Boston properly or if there's a, a like a terminal railway that, that actually services Boston. Uh, um, typically, they... that's the kind of thing is that <laughs> the, these these big class one railroads have sort of consolidated around being like the backbone, but not necessarily the end, um, you know, of the network, as it were. Yes, so um, just for an example around here, I don't believe CSX goes directly in. I know Norfolk Southern has an agreement with the Pan Am Railway. Um, oh, we love the Pan Am Railway. <laughs> we do love the Pan Am Railway. Um, <laughs> but um, as far as I know... Most Pan Am Railway. Just... We used to be an airline. We don't talk about it. <laughs> Shh, it never happened. Uh, yeah. Long trip? Who's that? <laughs> um, no, the, the freight terminal, the big freight terminal, as far as I know, is, you know, it's it's out of town, so they'd have to put it on a truck somewhere uh, probably somewhere out in Worcester or something like that, mm-hmm. if I recall correctly. But yeah, you would end up on two or three different railways to get there. Right, yeah, and all that interchanging takes time, obviously, because they, they can't just drive the train straight through, you know. No. They have to, you know, it gets dropped off in a yard and picked up again and made into another train and all that. So, uh, you know, I, I think I have another topic for another episode, which is about uh, sort of the managed decline of the rail industry in the U.S., which is sort of the state it's been in since, like, the 60s, where they've just been sort of, like, in this mode of sort of winding it up gradually over time, uh, which is is sad to me. But um, All but the most profitable backbones, yeah. Right, and indeed, uh, here's another article from Railway Age. Uh, Intermodal was up 7% in September, um, but other carloads were down 10%. So, cool. Very good. They're just relying. Uh, Everything is intermodal these days. We just put everything... It's basically like, you know, intermodals are just sort of trash cans into which we throw literally (laughs) everything, and then we just sort it out later. 
<laughs> uh, it's very funny because I work in IT and um, I spend a lot of time at work cursing containers and then I come home and I <laughs> you know, sit here relaxing. Same kind of thing. I'm sitting here with a nice beer relaxing and cursing out containers. Right, yeah. I mean, if yeah, if you work if you work in computer science uh, related professions, you know all about the perils of containers and uh, the sort of garbage that just gets put into them and expects to work. Uh, it's very similar sort of principle at play here. <laughs> Works on my railroad. Yeah. I mean, you know, I this is the thing is like basically the only the only freight that isn't carried in intermodals at this point is that which like physically cannot be more efficiently carried in yeah, intermodals. Yeah, your oil and your minerals. Right, yeah. Things of that nature. You know, and uh, to be honest, you know, if like in the next 20 years we start to see tank cars just replaced by like double stack tank tainers, I won't be surprised. I will be upset, but I won't be surprised. I'll be disappointed, but not surprised. <laughs> just, yes. Just, uh, can you imagine double They're stack tank goofy. tainers? Um, you you should make the, con you shouldn't, maybe you shouldn't, but you should jokingly make the uh, show art for this episode a uh, tank tainer. I, you know, I think I will. <laughs> <laughs> just just looking at a picture of one i'm just like why does this exist uh, you know whose idea Who was you? this <laughs> Who hurt you no, well and, and then you get it's, they, oh, they seem to commonly be the um the 20 foot ones not the 40 foot ones right they look even goofier right because they're little stubby tanks yeah yeah. Um, or if you get like a gas tank tainer, it'll have like like nine very very thin tanks all together oh yeah yeah yes. yeah Oh, look at that. No, I just see one here. Mm. I'm also seeing an, uh, an image here that says military use of a tank container system. And I, I don't. Oh, OK. So uh. this is <laughs> this is an interesting application where instead of having like a fuel truck, they have a truck that carries a tank tainer of fuel. Oh, which huh. is I don't know. I guess that's clever from yeah. a logistics standpoint. That is interesting. Yeah, I'm just getting lots of pictures of um, HO and N scale models of tank tainers. Well, yeah, that works too. Although I wouldn't buy <laughs> buying that for my fantasy terrible railroad yes. that I hate. <laughs> I'm just imagining a future in which a double stack tanktainer train derails. Oh no, and they fall off. Oh no, <laughs> they just go everywhere. They do disconnect from each other very easily. Is the thing with containers? Yeah, they do. That's the other thing about intermodals is double stack intermodals are not held together by that strong of like um, it's what four uh, bolts secure yeah. fastening methods. Yeah, it's they're called twist locks. Yes. Um, so yeah, you know they're not. Um, you know, not the most secure thing. Certainly not as secure as like, uh, you know, actually like if you had like a coil of steel on a flat car, <laughs> the way you would secure that. No, they strap those down real tight for exactly that reason. This is why every time a container ship gets grounded on like a shoal somewhere, the containers just start falling off because if they're anything yes. other than like straight up and down, they just sort of give way with like no, minimal they, they are they're very top heavy and they will just fall over wikipedia notes that the uh mechanism of twist locks is similar to that of a kensington lock which are the little locks <laughs> lock slots on like laptops which are known to be very secure yes <laughs> but, but on a much larger scale it says <laughs> yes um... the, the tensile strength of a twist lock is rated at either 20 or 25 tons which is i would say not a lot considering how much you can usually put into a rail car See, when you said twist lock, I was sitting here thinking of a, um, the first, when you say twist lock, I think of the electrical connectors first. And I was like, why are they using those? Well, they could, I suppose. That would be even worse. <laughs> they probably, they would probably be about as yeah. sturdy. Um, I've also just seen a picture of a, um, of a tank tainer, um, with a, a flat contain, not, not a container, but a flat car shaped container platform with a pickup truck strapped to it. Uh, that's interesting. <laughs> I will paste it in the, in the chat. Pick here. up on flat car. <laughs> <laughs> that's a, you know we we have we have cars for that. They're called auto racks. <laughs> yes, yes. I put my car. Oh, that's pretty ones. good. <laughs> <laughs> that's just a, that's just a palletized truck. <laughs> palletized technical. Yeah, I like that. Um, <laughs> But anyway, I, you know, I feel like uh, the intermodal shipping business to me or the container business to me seems like um, it's like tangentially related to the whole just in time inventory system that we've switched to as an economy where everything's just sort of haphazard and done. Oh, yes. And then it all falls apart when it doesn't show up in time. <clears throat> right. 
everything's just sort of haphazard and done as quickly as possible. Yes. Um, and we see how this has panned out when, you know, like uh, toilet paper goes out of stock when a pandemic happens yes. because there just aren't. Or the situation we're in right now where um, uh, during the ongoing pandemic, um, there are tens of container ships just sort of floating around, not allowed to dock because the crews would have to quarantine otherwise. And they're just, they, they can't yeah. come home, they can't dock anywhere to get off the ship. They're just on the ships. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we love that. Yeah. We think it's a great system. There's, there's absolutely um, no labor exploitation happening here whatsoever. No, it's, 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 no it's, it's fine. Um, it's great. Um, one thing I feel like I should talk about is, is the use of tank cars to transport oil, um, which, which is bad and dangerous yes. and should be discontinued. Um, I mean, uh, you can go listen to the Well, There's Your Problem episode about the Lac Megantique disaster for more details on that. Yes. But um, pipelines are actually a, a better Shockingly, and safer somehow. method for <laughs> transporting oil. Although, you know, ideally, I would not like us to need to transport oil at all. I mean, yes, if we could um, transport less oil, that would be a good thing. But it turns out, as bad as pipelines are, um, the safety standards for uh, tanker cars or tanker trailers, is uh, they're not stringent they're not very stringent um one thing as well is the well there's your problem twitter account has been uh doing some rail fanning lately and has documented the um rather ridiculous combinations of of substances that they will put sort of back to back in <laughs> rail cars or in tank cars so it's like you put oil right behind like uh you know like a caustic acid or something and it's like oh there should be no problems here if anything no, should and then happen we're gonna park it next to a hospital it'll be fine yeah Right, exactly. Yeah, you just, you know, I mean, this is the thing. When I lived in Columbus, I lived right next to a, uh, a main rail line. And I think the year before I moved to that area, there was a derailment where a bunch of tank cars filled with styrene, uh, you know, oh, no. broke and started to vent. And that's very, very bad. Uh, we yeah, don't like no, that. So Not good. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I don't, I don't. I think, I mean, oil bad in general, but please stop yes. putting oil and hazardous materials onto tank cars. <laughs> please, please and thank please. you. Please. Um, I really just want to see, like, uh, lumber, I guess. <laughs> lumber, something like that. orange juice. Yeah, oh yeah, absolutely. Please send the juice train my way. I would love some fresh orange juice, juice straight from Bradenton. And the, uh, you know, consumer goods, absolutely. Yeah. Please no hazardous chemicals. Uh a fuselages, plain fuselages. Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, plain fuselages. As problematic as the 737 is, it is the only um, the A380 may get carried on barges in pieces to be assembled. However, the 737 fuselage is transported on special flat cars, which so is pretty neat. We must actually. stand. Yeah, it is very. Cool. We do like that. Um, oh, uh, a wind turbine uh, blades. Oh yes. Also mm -hmm. transported via train because it's one of the one of the few methods of transport that's long enough for the dang things. Those things are very yes. very long. Yeah. <laughs> um, they do have to do very specialized trucking once the uh, uh, yeah, train, I... <laughs> train drops them off. It's very fascinating <laughs> I, uh... and extremely unwieldy. Yeah. So, but this is, uh, I guess, been our sort of. Um, hopefully, you know a lot more about rail freight now. You can appreciate. Um, you know, I don't know, I guess, you know, when I get stuck at a train now, I'm, I'm less sort of annoyed about it. Cause I'm just thinking about how much more efficient it is than, you know, getting stuck behind like, uh, like 300, uh, freight trucks, I guess, or something. So, <laughs> yes. um, you know, a trains just very neat, very efficient way to transport, uh, goods and, and we love it as always. The end, the end uh, statement here is build more train. Indeed, just build train, yeah. I have no idea what I'm doing. I was not prepared for this. I'm trying and I'm learning. Thank you for your patience. There's so many mistakes I have already made, but I'm working to be better day by day. And I think I'm gonna make it, but for now I'll say I have no what I'm doing I haven't thought about how to start see the thing is usually we clap and then we're just into it and I usually play a heel clip or something right right and and <laughs> uh, you've never had a guest on have you well hello everybody yeah I'm no <laughs> I don't think yeah no this would be our visiting with Hewell Hauser
Uh, well, you know, this is another part of the transit vertical. So true, just... true. <laughs> all aboard, America, all aboard, Amtrak. Okay, hello, welcome to... I don't know that works for the to... freight episode, but... <laughs> <laughs> well, you know... <laughs> Did the Pennsylvania we'll, Railroad have we'll a company song? <laughs> We'll get <laughs> uh, You know, they probably did, because aren't there Pullman songs? <laughs> oh, yeah, I believe there are. Yes. Yeah, yeah. There's probably like a, there's probably like a Pennsylvania, uh, I've got I mean, Pennsylvania if IBM had Railroad a song, you know. music, <laughs> the IBM too. Oh. <laughs> there, hmm, okay. The Belfast Polka slash Pennsylvania Railroad by James Galway. I mean, you could, you could just, you could just patch in a clip of Pennsylvania 6500 here. I'm now on a uh, uh, Wikipedia page entitled List of Train Songs. <laughs> uh, let's go pen, soul. Oh, I have the wrong Pennsylvania. keyboard for podcasting, don't I? Oh, this is just songs that it, it reasonably involve trains, because Peace Train by Cat Stevens is on here. Yeah, uh, I bet she took the Katie's on here, too. Uh, Control-F-K-A-T-Y. Yeah. Ragtime Engineer, it, comma, the. Sure is. <laughs> I mean, she railroad the- railroad boomer, comma the <laughs> I mean, railroad gym, <laughs> railroad tycoon three intro from the video game railroad I tycoon don't three. Know if I would consider. <laughs> I mean, technically little, yes. Oh, yeah, take the A train, of course. Take the A train. How could you not? Um, Rock Island line. There you go. Uh-huh. Traditional, often attributed to Lead Belly. Train song. Separate songs with this title. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just it's a paragraph. It's one paragraph. Rock and Roll Train by ACDC. Hmm. Trolley song? The rock the rock okay, let me let me let me put this in here. YouTube. Trans Europe Express. Kraftwerk. Rock Island Line. Oh, Johnny Cash recorded this. Ooh. Uh, the song's chorus includes the Rock Island Line is a mighty good road. The Rock Island r- Line is the road to ride. The Rock Island Line is a mighty good road. If you want to ride, you gotta ride it like you find it. Get your ticket at the station for the Rock Island Line. Did they get paid for that? I, I don't know. <laughs> Must have gotten paid quite a lot. To... Was, it, was, it like, was it a well-known jingle or something that they decided to do? A I don't. Of? Like yeah. That I, well, oh, okay. It was written by a member of the Rock Island Colored Booster Quartet, a skiing group made up of employees of the Chicago Rock Island ah. and Pacific Railroad, at the Biddle Shops Freight Yard in Little Rock, Arkansas. That would do it. So yeah, that would do it. There's apparently a song called "Daddy, What's a Train?" Question mark. Well, I hope the I hope the song answers that question. <laughs> it's by John Denver, so who knows? No idea, son. <laughs> I'll let you know if I find out. But what are trains? Oh, oh, I know how we can start. Ah. <clears throat> okay, here we go.